champions yes you the loyal son listening you woke up a champion today welcome back to the loyal sons podcast that's at the loyal sons on twitter follow us there and follow us here for pit sports content you won't want to miss if you love winning rings and hate nothing because life is full of beauty and wonder this is the place for you the loyal sons podcast a safe sunshiny place for your 2021 ACC champion pit football fix. Today is whatever today is. I don't know. I'm blinded by the light of euphoria after Pitt has taken down Wake Forest to claim its first outright conference championship as a program. I am joined today by my wonderful co-hosts Dylan and Squid. Gentlemen, you two, you were you were at the game this weekend. Before we get into any of the X's and O's, make me feel like I was there. Tell me, tell me everything about this weekend—the sights, the sounds, the stories. I I want it all. Tell me about this experience. The pit fans were awesome. We saw so many pit fans at bars, the game, tailgating, and even just in passing. That was my favorite part, uh, other than actually winning the game to become ACC champions was walking through Charlotte all day long and seeing the streets covered in blue and gold. Pit fans traveled. Most fun I've had at the game. Hands down. Yeah, I think I said hail to Pit probably over a thousand times, just greeting everyone uh, decked out in blue that we saw. Um, it was awesome. Uh, not a ton of Wake Forest fans, assuming a lot of them just drove up for the game because they were obviously they had a good showing at the actual stadium. But other than that, it was just like, you know, Pittsburgh moved moved south for for a weekend and it was uh, it was really cool everyone was you know pit fans are super nice they see other pit fans and you know very welcoming got to meet all kinds of great people uh people who follow us on twitter listen to the podcast and really it was just an amazing experience all around yeah we even saw a lot of pit fans on the highway we were like, yeah. giving honks giving fist pumps out the window like flashing our pit gear yeah, I, I heard a couple of those uh, Sheetses in West Virginia kind of were turning into, like, Fifth Avenue. Yeah, I, even on the way back, I'm, like, you know, disheveled after a long weekend, but just sheets full of uh, Kenny Pickett jerseys and, and pit hats, and it was, um, 
Special experience, for sure. Excellent to hear Pitt fans brought the intensity a couple states away. Um, the Panthers obviously brought it. This was one of those games where they came out, you know, swinging. And it all started with that iconic Kenny Pickett touchdown run. 58 yards, the Hezzy Hay pulls up, freezes three or four defenders, takes it to the house. Unbelievable. What was the environment like for that run? I think it was just... I was shocked at first because it seemed like, you know, he was going to slide, he got the first down, and then, you know, we're cheering, and all of a sudden, there was like a, a moment where everyone realized, oh my gosh, he's going to score, and the place went nuts, blew the roof off the place, and um, it just kind of felt like right right then and there, you know, this is going to be a special night. I, that happened on the first drive, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't know if I'll ever see a better play in person, given the the you know the build up to the game, the implications of the game, and then obviously this this controversy after. Um, that's that's one I won't soon forget. Yeah, I didn't realize it was as controversial as it was until after the game. While we were there, we just thought that was one of the coolest plays I've ever seen, and it was literally pure shock. I think I stopped cheering when I thought he was gonna go down and my jaw just remained like on the concourse of the stadium until he scored because I couldn't believe what just happened. We were just all looking at each other like, what? That happened. And we'll, we're going to touch on this significantly. I think we have a whole segment dedicated to this exact play uh, coming up in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, so the interesting thing to me is I've had this running joke with my brother who's a pit grad uh, that... Kenny didn't learn how to slide until this year, and it's this new mature Kenny Pickett anytime he does. In fact, he's not Kenny Pickett when he slides. He is Kenneth. He is mm-hmm. Kenneth Pickett anytime, you know, he doesn't eat a linebacker off the collarbone and instead, you know, makes makes the smart decision. But it's almost as if maybe, perhaps, it was all a ruse. It was a long con. He did... No, we'll, we'll discuss whether he had this plan or whether it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, but, you know, maybe, maybe he was baiting all of us with with the mature sliding and the, and the taking what he can get. For him, to, I mean, that was unbelievably smooth. Well, true, Kenny did make a lot of smart decisions this year, starting with coming back, learning to slide more. But to the ACC championship game, he left the Kenneth Pickett hat in the closet. And oh, he was is, going, gunslinger, no- low on my shoulder, not sliding. We're getting this done one way or another. Oh, Kenneth Pickett is dead. Yeah. He, he killed that version of himself on Saturday night. He is the gunslinger Kenny Heisman now. So obviously game off to a hot start. Uh, Pitt scores its first possession, hands it over to Wake Forest. And from there... Though it was back and forth, first quarter it felt like Wake Forest was in control of this game to an extent. Yeah, I think uh, after Wake Forest got the first stop, you know, they got a big sack, uh, Skarton missed a field goal. I think at that point I started to get a little nervous because it felt like, you know, we're going to have to score 50 points to win, and if they're getting stops, that's not good for us. Um, so, that yeah, I was I was nervous near the end of the first quarter, but, you know, there was a lot of game left. I, I wasn't you know, packing it in. But that was honestly the only point of the game where I really felt those nerves. I don't even know if I was nervous. I just kind of expected it. 
I think all of us, we predicted Pitt to have in the high 40s and Wake Forest to have over 40. I thought, all right, we're scoring. We'll get a couple stops eventually, but I'm not, I'm not worried about them coming out of the gates hot. Uh, I, everyone's like, oh, I always think I'm, I'm too juiced up right now. <laughs> Let the juice loose. Yeah. Everyone thought the over was lock. Little did we know. Didn't even really come close because of our defense. They figured it out. They did. They did. And I, what I was pleased to see, even though we were giving up points, was they came out playing physically and aggressive. Because some of our closer games this year, I think we can agree, um, the opposition came out laying the wood and we were just sort of accepting it in the games that we were able to pull off and, and have dominating performances. We were the ones playing tough, aggressive football at the get-go. So I was not upset about the 15 yards we gave up because of that Marquez Williams power bomb. Uh, that was that was physical play. There were some penalties early, some of them questionable, but a lot from you know physical coverage or uh, you know trying trying to uh, do a little much in terms of physicality. Uh, and it, I think it eventually wore on Wake Forest because I don't think they scored after three minutes left in the first quarter. And from there, it was all pit. I think it was there was a point in the second quarter where it really started to seem like that that became more apparent, the, the physicality. Um, one play I think you could point to specifically for the defense was uh, Servasio Dennis's first sack. Just absolutely drove Sam Hartman into the ground. The type you might see a roughing the passer on in the NFL, you know, putting your putting your shoulder into the quarterback's chest, putting him into the ground. But felt like after that, Pitt started to get some mojo, and even on you know plays where Wake Forest was picking up yardage and you know getting first downs, uh, Pitt's D backs were coming and laying the wood. The linebackers were coming flying around, and at some point, it, it just seemed like they they kind of realized like we're the better team here, we're the tougher team, and just kind of started laying the wood and that was I really do think would change the game because two of Sam Hartman's interceptions came directly after he took a lick from the pit defense and it seemed like he was starting to get happy feet didn't want to get hit again and uh made for some pretty easy interceptions for the defensive backs he did not have a clean pocket much of that game at all even when they were scoring the pocket was still collapsing he had guys closing on him but he would make a nice throw here and there uh, after the first couple drives that pass rush got a step quicker and they were hitting Hartman and he was seeing ghosts he wasn't even Absolutely. looking he was just turning his head and chucking it seemed like half the time because he sensed guys coming in his grill and that changed the game yeah. Sam Hartman I didn't notice this until I watched the game broadcast I had a DVR'd so after the 7 hour drive back from a Charlotte, I fired that up in its entirety. His body language was bad. He was defeated. He was not interested in being on that field after the first quarter. I I thought it was almost a bad look from the broadcast team yeah. because they kept pushing the narrative about um, you know Sam Hartman uh, lost someone very close to him very tragically uh, in a suicide a few years ago. So he's always been like a like a big torchbearer for mental health and go go see a therapist and talk it out and don't be afraid to be vulnerable which are all causes that I think are very noble um, 
However, as much as I am, am a pro-therapy person, not the best advertisement to be talking about this while showing a guy who got hit a couple times through a pick or two and just instantly turtled and looked like a shell of a human on the sidelines. He was just thousand-yard stare out of the stadium, getting yelled at on the phone, and they kept kept pushing the mental health thing in it. At one point, I kind of wanted to grab Robert Griffin III and be like, hey, man, you are not helping the cause. Get the camera off that kid. Stop talking about it. That was probably my biggest takeaway, and you can even feel it in the stadium. We're Pitt fans. We're not... We know that pick and blow leads just like that. We were up 10. It felt like we were up by 50 because Wake Forest looks so disinterested. They seem so defeated. And we were, like Dylan said, hitting them every play hard. We were more physical. And even though we weren't pulling away, it did not seem like the game was in doubt. I did not have any fear that Wake Forest could come back from 10 points down as good as their offense was all year. Yeah, especially because, I mean, when's the last time you've seen a player as visibly shook as Sam Hartman. I don't know. He was shook, for sure. Uh, he, I mean, I, I more so, I didn't watch the entire broadcast, um, but I more so just saw how the game played out. And with the throws he was making, it was very clear that he was worried about getting the ball out of his hands and not taking further hits. And I think that's the big thing. Um, yeah, that long match, that was the biggest uh, question mark. Would that help them the whole RPO offense or hurt them that hurt them big time Pitt adjusted to how they were blocking them uh, and that pass rush was in his face that was that was not helping and out of the Delta a good bit they were having you know dropping Haba back a little bit letting him blitz up the middle let him get creative Cansey absolutely drilled Hartman uh, at one point and I've I think that was the turning point of the game in in my recollection. And, I mean, the next play, or maybe a couple plays later, I forget exactly, but uh, Hartman threw a big pick. And, you know, it was very clear that the defensive line imp- and, the you know, that whole front seven just kind of imposed their will on that game, and, and the D-backs were the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, I, I think there was this very clear turning point where uh, Wake Forest had scored on three consecutive drives, their first three drives. And then uh, Dayon Hayes got his first series uh, in the game. And, and he's, a, he's a young guy. He's a heralded recruit out of you know the City League. Westinghouse High School. Westinghouse High School. And he hadn't seen a ton of time this year. He's behind quite a few studs. But there's still a lot of high hopes for him. He gets on the field. First play, sack. Second play, quarterback hurry. Third play, he was running through the backfield like a like a madman, and we forced a three and out. It was almost as if he was telling the rest of the line, like, come on, just just get in there quick, just beat your guy. If we can get some shots on him, this, there's nothing they can do to stop us. And then I think the next drive was when Cansey just leveled Hartman. And I think my takeaway from, from the way that game ended up uh, was there was an advantage to Pitt um, of Wake Forest running that slow mesh point, and it's that Hartman had to make his decisions close to the line of scrimmage because you have to creep up when you're when you're faking the handoff. 
and the athleticism and we got some scary dudes we have some scary quick dudes so i think they were almost able to mask it a little bit hold hold their guy in tow hold their offensive lineman in tow and the closer hartman got they were able to make a quick move to the inside and get a hit on him it was like playing possum a little bit but something you can only do with uh pitt's defensive line quickness yeah i mean can't say much more about the defensive line they absolutely dominated wake force after that first quarter and you know the defense as a whole held wake force to what 109 yards or held hartman to 109 yards after that first quarter so um hats off to them uh, offense played well they played well enough i'm gonna stop it right the there though and we're gonna have to talk about eric Hallett for a minute eric Hallett. That's MVP Eric Hallett. Too. MVP Eric Hallett with two interceptions, including the pick six, the exclamation point at the end of the game. And his other pick was just a ridiculous catch. Yeah, the, every time I watch it, it's just like... So he catches it with his fingertips, he lifts it up, catches it with his fingertips, and then looks around, and it really seems like he didn't think he caught it. And no one thought he caught it. But his teammates came up, and they gave him the call, and look on the replay, and sure as heck, he caught that ball. And, I mean, yeah, great play. I want to give a shout-out to him and also MJ Devonshire. He got – it was tight coverage, but he just didn't make a play on the ball on the one touchdown. After that, he was like Darrell Rebus out there. Yeah, I'm not just making the easy Aliquippa pit comparison. He was (laughs) locked down all over his dude. I don't even know if they – Tested him from that point on. No, it was it was certainly Devonshire's best game, uh, his pick career so far, and obviously Eric Hallett's. Um, I'll be the first to apologize to Eric Hallett. I've definitely uh, made some comments about his open field tackling. Um, you have my silence forever, Eric. <laughs> uh, that was an unbelievable performance. Uh, I mean, really single handedly helped. Uh, pitch shovel it on top of Wake Forest. If anybody wants to go back to last week's episode and screen record me saying I think our defense would look like uh, chickens with their heads cut off, feel free to do it. I alone that. I'm glad that I was wrong. They kind of did, but like if chickens had like really big knives, so they're just <laughs> running around like no idea where they were, but stabbing the hell out of everything <laughs> in their way. And I think <laughs> it's a hilarious analogy, but I do think there's something to be said about like. The just ruthless, reckless aggression, a reckless abandon that the defense started to play with. And it was just like, let's play loose. Let's go down and hit somebody in the mouth and go make plays. And it wasn't like trying to, you know, sit back and make Wake Forest make a mistake. No, we're going to force them to turn the ball over. We're going to force them to make mistakes. And uh, it, it was very impressive. That translated to the offense, too. They kind of sputtered in the middle part of the game, couldn't pull away. But I think there was a point on the sideline where everybody realized, we're the better team here, we're more physical, let's just take this. We just need to do it. Yeah. And they gave Izzy the ball, he ran a couple dudes over, almost got run over by coach, but everyone else on the field he ran over, and that's what matters. Daniel Carter absolutely blasting someone out of bounds on Jordan Addison's long punt return. Uh, That was a a tone setter. Absolutely. Probably a late hit, but, you know, if it doesn't get called, it doesn't matter. Let the boys play. Now, it wasn't the offense's most impressive performance, um, but it, it still 
even an unimpressive performance by this version well, of. The I thought the same offense. thing too, and I thought Pickett had 253 passing yards. He had the long run. He threw one pass in the fourth quarter. So all those stats we accumulated, other than like the garbage time runs, that is true. Were from three quarters. He had one pass attempt for two yards to Rodney Hammond down on the goal line. That so, is true. So the, that's how early it was over. We were the offense was very yeah. workable, but I I think. What we had come to expect, plus the expectation playing Wake Forest defense, I definitely thought Pickett was going to throw for like 500 yards, and I have no complaints about the way that game went. But I did absolutely crack up when we ran that fourth and one, launched it to Addison, uh, running uh-huh. running a long post route. And it was just double coverage, because everybody in the stadium knew fourth and one inside the 50, Long ball to Addison. They telegraphed it too, because I'm pretty sure they. I know they took Gavin Bartholomew out for sure, but I'm pretty sure they took Hammond out and put in Vincent Davis. Izzy was in on that boy. Izzy was in. Okay, I was wrong about that. But they took Bartholomew out, and I saw that on the scoreboard. I thought, knew we're gonna take a shot here just because of trends of uh, Mark Whipple's play calling. But uh, when you take Bart out, you know you're not gonna run it, and. Wake Forest knew that they had two guys on Addison, but Pickett and Addison are so good. Pickett gave him a shot. Not mad at it. You you gotta you gotta. He's a he's a future Bolitnikov winner. Yeah. You gotta give him a shot at that. Speaking of Mark Whipple, we saw him at the bar after the game. Him, Coach Partridge, Coach Borbley, celebrating as champions should. Yeah. Were were they having a good time? Oh, Coach Whipple was the life of the party. He was dancing. <laughs> Uh, let's go. They were hooting and hollering, too. They were eating it up with the fans. Great dudes. They're loyal sons. Who would have thought we'd be calling Mark Whipple a loyal son, like, months ago? Oh, Are we going to be sad if he leaves and retires? Yeah, and yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that. Because what he... was his seat check at week one? Like, 80, probably? Oh, I think I put him at 80. Yeah, 80 degrees. But, I mean, God, it... I'm so wildly impressed with everything he's done this year. I would, I'd do a lot for him to give me 25 uh, Izzy Abanacanda touches per game. <laughs> I'd do a lot for that, but I, I really don't have a lot of no notes, Mark Whipple. Well, one note. More Izzy touches, but also no notes. Incredible. Uh, so you guys got to... Celebrate with a little bit of the team after the game. What was the environment uh, in the stadium in regards to interaction with, like, Wake Forest fans or the overall climate of the stadium when the game was a little bit tighter? I went into the game thinking that it would be a little bit more of a a rosier relationship between the two fan groups because, as Connor and I pointed out, who'd have thought? (laughs) Look Look at us. Yeah, I saw a lot of people saying that they didn't have great interaction with Wake Forest fans. Um, I thought most of the fans around us were pretty decent people, seemed like pretty decent people. Um, But I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent and not talk about the Wake Forest fans right now and talk about the the staff at Bank of America Stadium. Oh boy, let's go. So, we'll set it up. You saw our tweets about the picket sign getting stolen, the 6'3 cardboard cutout was confiscated from us, and there's a bit of a story to that. More than what the tweets uh, let on. So strap in and enjoy. Okay, I'll get it started. So, 
there was an usher who came to our seats, and mind you, the Kenny Pickett cardboard cutout was sitting in a seat with us. We had him a ticket. We didn't sneak it in. We were let in by the security. Everyone saw us go through the metal detector of the Kenny Pickett. Nobody stopped us. And we had him in a seat. We were in the second to last row of the upper deck. There were people behind him, but he was in a seat. We weren't blocking anyone's view. Well, we weren't upper deck. We were second low. We're lower bowl, cuz. We were <laughs> lower bowl. Don't, we were don't low. let people think get, we were sitting get in the Get your hands up. <laughs> so, anyway, Usher comes up, confiscates the cardboard cutout. Not really much of an explanation at all. Just, and I, I heard this guy had already been giving Pitt fans issues, like, the entire game leading up to that. Yeah, he just didn't seem like he was in a great mood, you know. I don't blame him. I don't want to deal with a drunk, bunch of drunk uh, football fans either. But, you know, you've got to expect it. Anyway, comes up and takes a sign. Um, and we're all... People gave him quite an earful. I, w- I will say that. And to Even be honest, the Wake Forest fans. Yeah. The Wake Forest fans, who we were kind of friendly trash talking, uh, they were like, that's messed up, man. I don't know why they so, took that. Like, they had our backs. So the Demon Deacons were pro picket cutout. Correct. Okay. So, um, me, being the, the superhero that I, I'm trying to be, mm. said, you know what? I'm going to go get it back. So I did run down, and I got the sign back. Wait, so he didn't, like, throw it away or anything? He just... He was in the tunnel below our section, and it was, like, propped up against the wall slash on the floor. He looked away for a second. I grabbed it and ran away. That's what I did. I ran up back up to the seat. Obviously, Hero. they knew where we were sitting. Courage. Uh, so they came with a few more staff members, pointed me out, and were like, okay, you gotta go. And so I took, the, I started the walk of shame, and... Whole uh, section erupts in boos. Yeah. Boom, booing. I'm high-fiving pit fans. They're like, let them stay. I have Wake Forest fans saying, oh, come on, let them stay. Let them stay. And uh, so I'm walking down... Some some head of staff or securities, not giving me the time of day. I'm like, hey, like this is kind of ridiculous. You let us bring it in the stadium. There's a younger security guard who's talking to me. Just I'm like, hey man, I know you're doing your job, but this is ridiculous. And he was awesome. TJ at Bank of America Stadium, you're a hero. There's more about him later in the story, but he he is my man. And if if I'm ever back in Charlotte, drinks on me. But. So we will be back in Charlotte. Exactly. So, like next year. Every, every year until the sun explodes into the earth. We're going to get a timeshare. So, we get back, we get out into the main concourse, and at that point, it really sets into me that I'm actually going to have to miss the second half of this game. And so, I go into, like, I go into serious defense mode. Like self preservation yes, mode. Yes, and like I'm. Fight or flight. Yes, yeah, so. Telling everyone, like, I know you're doing your job, I know you're doing your job. There was a police officer there at this point, but um, they were, you know, most people were pretty reasonable. And eventually I'm like, hey, like, let's actually think about this. You guys let us bring this sign into the stadium, and he confiscated without telling us anything about it. This is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe that you're going to remove me for the game from this, blah, blah, blah. And eventually they're like, okay, go sit over there. We're going to talk about this. About five. You got ten, him to reconsider. Yes, I I was very shocked. But even then, I'm like, okay, there's no way they're gonna let me stay. I even contemplating like taking off and finding some some fan like some loyal sons in another section and just like blending in with them. But anyway, uh, you should have booked it. This deliberation, yeah. Uh, 
This deliberation goes on for about five, ten minutes. I'm talking to the uh, police officer. He's like, you know, I think this is really just a big mis- miscommunication. Like, you know, you're, you're, he's like, I, he's like, I don't think you did anything really that wrong. Like, but we'll let them decide. And my dude TJ walks over and he goes, Look, here's the deal. They're gonna let you stay. Yo. And and, and the sigh of relief I had. Oh my gosh. And he's like, But I'm gonna keep the sign. And I'm like, Okay, that's fine. That's. It's, it is what it is at this point. He was missing like an arm at this point. We had to form up pretty good to get in the van. And he goes, but come find me at the end of the game, and I'll give you the sign back. And I just give him a big hug. And I'm like, you're the man. <laughs> and as he's walking me back up to the seat, he goes, oh, man, your boys are going to go crazy when they see you. <laughs> and I, I emerge out of the tunnel like Rocky, both hands in the air. We were all like, wait, that's Dylan. <laughs> he's back. And that's it. And you know what? After the game, I ran into TJ. He saw me, he goes, yo, you want your sign back? And I'm like, yes. So took me down to the maintenance room that they were keeping it in. We got the sign back, and it came and had a cold one with, with us after the game. He had a cold one? Wow. You narrowly escaped being booted at halftime of the ACC championship. Correct, for a, for a cardboard cutout. You silver-tongued devil. <laughs> I felt so bad for Dylan. I For a brief moment, I thought, should I leave and like watch the game at a bar with him? But that quickly left my head. Like, I'm not going to do that for him. I'm going to stay at this game. But I feel really bad for him. My second thought was... You have our sympathies. You know what? This really sucks for Dylan. But it'll make some great content. It'll be a great story, nonetheless. But it ended up, best case scenario, he comes back and Wake Forest did not score a point since that security guard took the cutout. 31-0 run. Wow, so... Dylan galvanized the Pitt Panthers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Narduzzi or Whipple or somebody had binoculars out and saw what was happening, and that really just cranked the team up. Narduzzi said, let's win this one for that kid who got kicked out. It was our, Even though we were like 175 yards away. <laughs> it was our remember the Alamo um, win one for the Gipper moment. Yeah. Wow. Dylan, thank you for your service. Hey. The least I could do for this team. The least I could do for Jared Wayne, that soldier. So I guess all, all that there's left to do other than talk about this game until the day we all die uh, is award the Servassier Dennis Memorial nut-up play of the game. And I, I don't think that it's an easy task. I think there's you know quite a few picks that we've already mentioned um a lot of key plays in this game a very complete performance by the Pitt Panthers what do you guys think yeah that's uh I honestly hadn't put too much thought into it um it is a hard selection but off the top of my head I feel that I like the the AJ Woods interception Mm -hmm. um and an ensuing return only because it set up essentially what what felt like the dagger for, for that uh, Wake Forest team. You know, obviously Izzy was able to punch it in on a third and goal, which uh, could also be up there as a play where, you know, you got a nut up. But um, A.J. Woods, big play, big return, setting up what ended up being, you know, effectively Eric Hallett had the the exclamation point at the end, but that play right there really... Uh, that was the icy on the cake. It, it was... There were a you, couple... I feel like at that point we felt that 
there was no way that Pitt was going to blow this. There were there were a couple daggers, a, a couple plays that I would call the icy on the that that cake was more icing than cake. That pick, Hallett's pick six was another death blow. Um, you know, all of the interceptions felt like death blows. Uh, I I might be a little bit partial to a couple of the hits that were laid on early on Hartman that really, really set the tempo. I mentioned um, Hayes coming into the game, Cansey driving him into the ground, all his moments where the tide started to shift and, and their offense became completely impotent. Yeah, I um, think the one that jumped out at me was Deion Hayes' sack. I think from there the floodgates kind of opened. But I do love the A.J. Woods interception as well. Kind of had a... James Harrison return vibes with Servassier, <laughs> Dennis, and other guys out in front uh-huh. playing blocks. If you would have scored, that might have. You know, no, I think it's still my vote. I I still think the picket touchdown. Uh, if we're talking about like an like a drop your nuts moment in time, that smooth ass fake slide. Deserves recognition as far as the Servassier Dennis Memorial Committee uh, views these things. I think I'm just going to vote that the best play I've ever seen in my life award. I think it's like too good for that. Just give it its own room or wing in the trophy case. So it's it's kind of like the Kenny Pickett Memorial best play I've ever seen in my life. Wow. New award. New award. I just had an idea to build a room in my future house and just have a bunch of TVs playing Kenny Pickett highlights at all times. What I'm really looking forward to is uh, tailgates next year when we show up too early for college game day and just play this game on <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this game this game might just get... I This condensed game might get watched a hundred times before Christmas. I've got a couple games on DVR that I have not deleted over the years because I just would rather watch the full game in its entirety. It's Penn State 2016, Clemson 2016. Um, UCF is on there, and this is Ernst's place that will remain on the DVR until... Uh, well, no, I don't have to get rid of Comcast because they have the ACC now. So DVR Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah. Mount that's, Washington. That's a full DVR Mount Washington. But all in all, just absolutely all-around amazing performance. Defense stepped up, offense stepped up, and, I mean, Pat Narduzzi gets the ACC championship. If I would have said at the beginning of the year, honestly, if I would have told you at the beginning of the year, Pitt wins an ACC championship and Kenny Pickett's a Heisman finalist, you would have been like, okay, like let's pump the brakes. But it's a dream season. I, that's, I think that's the only way we can really put it. Um, Pitt's playing a New Year's Six Bowl. Has a conference championship. Heisman finalist. This is the greatest season of our lifetimes, and it's going to be hard to top. It feels so great because for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I remember reading articles in like 2015 predicting Pitt to win every single game and it being like, you know what, maybe, probably not, but maybe. And we just come up like four wins short or three wins short, and everyone's laughed at for being the overly optimistic pick fan. We might just win 12 games this year. We might. Even the most optimistic pick fans of all time. 
if you predicted 12 wins this year and you weren't like tongue in cheek, tweet at us at the Loyal Suns. We're going to do something for you. And and this is just what college football is all about. You know, every every decade has three or four teams that completely dominate. And if you aren't one of those three or four teams, um, you know, your your odds your odds of having an enjoyable season are a little bit lower. Your odds of winning championships are zero. You know, the early 2000s had uh, USC and Texas. The 90s had Nebraska and Michigan. Uh, and, and then, you know, this decade with Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. But this is what the rest of us live for. For your podunk middle-tier program... To come out of nowhere, win 10 games, a championship, and make a name for yourself on the national stage. That is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. This couldn't be more what it's all about. It is about this. Like, if someone asked me what it's all about, I would just say this. Thank you for winning. We need to make t-shirts that say thank you in pit script. So write that down. Write that down, write that down. <laughs> that was Mark Whipple on the sidelines, the offensive coordinator for the Panthers. Pickett, a very good runner. Don't sleep on those legs. Oh, he faked the slide. Sauce time. Pickett. Did that work? Touchdown, Pitt. Are very underappreciated, but right here he gets out. He gets out in a hurry, and then what's he do? He hits him with the fake oh. slide and goes and hits him with the cha cha. Makes these guys understand that he can not only throw it, but he can run that bad boy too. Now it's time for a little Mad Online, the segment where we scour Al Gore's internet for the cringiest, most idiotic takes that Pitt fans and their adversaries can pump onto the internet uh, in a given week. Um, this one stems from a surprising reaction that we've noticed to uh, John's Kenny Pickett Memorial Greatest Play of All Time, which is, of course, uh, Kenny's 58-yard scamper to open things up against Wake Forest. Uh, the the epicenter of this controversy is the fake slide itself. However, smooth uh, by Kenny himself um, has raised some questions about, you know, the fairness of, quote, taking advantage of, you know, a rule that was made to protect quarterbacks and using it against the defense. What have you guys been hearing about, you know, this controversy, if you will? I think the craziest thing to me is how much this has been discussed. I mean, we just saw it was one of the topics on Pardon the Interruption on ESPN and, you know, Sports Illustrated, ESPN have articles about how Dave Clawson complained about it. And Wake Forest fans have been bitching up a storm. I think the craziest part is after the game, Dave Clawson brought up uh, how he thought the rule needs to be changed. But he wasn't, like, crying about it as much as some of these other people are. He said it was a great play by Pickett. It's within the rules, but I think you need to look at the rule. I think that's reasonable, I guess. In comparison to everything else, by saying, on part of my take, they were just saying that should have been an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and blown dead on the spot. Part of my take would never say that about their boy. Yeah, they respect (laughs) Kenny Two Gloves. 
pardon the interruption, they were like appalled by it. Yeah. Wake Forest fans were saying they should have cheap shotted him for the rest of the game. Yeah, I've seen people say like next time take a shot at his head, blow out his chest, like all right, let's let's pump the brakes here. He's been called a cheater by some people we aren't gonna name on this podcast. A name that might now be outlawed on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's ridiculous that there are people outraged about it, and quite frankly, I don't see how anyone can look at it and think anything but, okay, they should maybe look at that and evaluate it, but that was sweet. It was sweet! Like He broke, like, three dudes' ankles at once. It was objectively sweet. I thought we liked fun. Yeah. Isn't that the whole point of football? I mean, I, I know... People say Mike Vick. Yes, Gigi, Mike Vick yes. tried it in the past, but I don't. I don't. I've never seen a fake slide like like how that was done and how effectively it worked. And you know what? I hope they do make a rule, the picket rule, and he goes down and and is immortalized for that. And anytime it happens, we can say, well, Kenny Pickett in the ACC championship in 2021 was the one who caused this rule to be put in place. I'm fine with that. You know who else has rules named after them? Joe Green, Mel Blunt, Tom Brady, Kenny Pickett, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Will Chamberlain. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're an all-time great. They have to change the game because of you. That's that's all there is to it. If you if you saw that play and thought anything other than, oh, that was that was objectively awesome. Before you know some deeper thoughts about the implications of it. You hate fun. I will admit, there, there is a point to the the wish to outlaw that because it puts the defender in an impossible spot. Because we've seen what happens when you so much as lay a finger on a quarterback when they're about to slide. But at the same time... Maybe... It, Maybe don't let up that much when you're that far away. Eight from the yards away. <laughs> I mean, you just got you just got fooled. That's all there is to it. Um, yeah, I mean, Narduzzi said made a comment after the game. Our jackass Pat Narduzzi mm-hmm. made yes. a comment about you know there's this thing called a whistle. I teach my guys to play through it. By the way, bravo to him for taking a shot at David Clausen because Clausen took took a couple jabs at Narduzzi in the lead up to the game. There was Narduzzi going to take the high road? Absolutely not. No, if if you don't want a rule to be exploited by a superior athlete, write it better. The funniest part about this is we might not see a quarterback do this for a very, very long time, and everybody's asking to change the rule book, and this is like a pressing issue. I don't think quarterbacks don't even want to try this because they are afraid of getting their clock cleaned. Lesser athletes are yes. going to blow out both their knees. There's going to be some that. mediocre quarterback to try this, doesn't fool anybody, and gets buried, and he looks like an idiot, and he's hurt. Sean Clifford is a double amputee after trying that. I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So, so there's been a little bit of debate. Do, do you think he kind of had that plan? Like, No. I've seen people say that. I've heard people say, oh, I'm not rolling out. I don't think there's any way. I think 100% what happened was Kenny planned on sliding and saw... It looked too natural. Yeah, I mean... He did. He saw this guy lay up, and he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to take off. And um, 
I mean, that's just instincts. That's a that's a ball player making a play, and we said he is this, such a gamer. We yeah. said this at the game. We could tell that he fake slid and did some sort of hesitation from afar. He was running to the opposite end zone of us. Someone pulled up their phone on Twitter. They're like, "Oh my gosh, his knee was like inches off the ground." <laughs> There's no way you fake slide and get that close. Like, you don't try to do that. It was say, so, hey, I'm going to fake slide and get... Who even thinks of that? It was if so I tried cavalier. That, I would, like, blow out both of my knees if I tried that. I, I just think it's funny because in the... Was this planned? Was this, you know, spontaneous argument? Was he trying to the, exploit the rules intentionally? Yeah, the, the, the implication is that the more moral high ground would be like, no, he just kind of did it spontaneously and, like, there's something sinister about having played it. But honestly, I think that's more impressive that Kenny Pickett was just doing his nightly skim through the NCAA rulebook, noticed a massive hole, went out to the practice field, practiced it a few times, and just sat on the opportunity until the ACC championship. I almost hope he planned That would be legendary. Could you imagine if Narduzzi just said after the game, like, yeah, I've watched Kenny practice that every day after practice <laughs> for uh, the last uh, five years. That would He's that would be this moment his whole life. That would be a even if it wasn't true, that would be a troll job, very typical of Pat Narduzzi. Yeah, uh, I wish he thought that. I think I'm gonna just we'll just rewrite history, and you know, from now on, we'll just say yeah, Pickett Pickett did that on purpose. So just so people can keep being mad about it for the years to come. I love the Wake Forest fans crying about it as if uh, them not scoring any points in the final three quarters wasn't a bigger problem for them to like worry about. Like it didn't happen 75 seconds into the 60-minute <laughs> football game. Like, what? They would have scored on that drive anyway. Who are we kidding? Next play would have been a Jordan Addison touchdown. Penalty or not. Plum dead or not. They were going to score. If I'm an NFL franchise... Just kidding. If they blow that dead, we turn it over and Sam Hartman doesn't throw... Four interceptions and they win. That's how it works. I also saw Wake Forest fans say that uh, that Wake Forest is clearly the better team, but they just for some reason have trouble playing in Charlotte. Yeah, and that we faked injuries. To that guy is mad online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that guy is the definition of mad online. And then Stupid that online. us faking injuries to slow down their offense that had uh, 109 yards in the final three quarters. Yeah, and they were saying about Keyshawn Camp. And if you ever watched Keyshawn Camp, oh, play the football, the fake that's that could that could have been its own Matt Online segment. Uh, the heavy implication from a lot of Wake Forest based Twitter accounts and journalists talking about Pitt faking injuries to slow them down. We could tell that at the stadium they booed a lot of those injuries, and it was early on. It wasn't like oh. Very classy. Pitt, Pitt has had seven guys injured in one quarter, and then they started booing. Pretty early on, they were booing this. This is the thing that Wake Forest does. I think they think so highly of themselves that we need to slow down. To, we have to slow their tempo down. We can't hang with them. Spare me. Well, first of all, that's just kind of like your average play with Keyshawn Camp. Um, it, it ends. It ends in a trainer coming out on the field. Uh, second, I that's kind of an overriding theme I've I've seen on the layer on Twitter and, and even heard first person was that Wake Forest fans were a little bit arrogant and entitled, uh, and it, it's just kind of funny because it 
a flag for me kind of went up when we were talking to Connor O'Neill last week, and he attributed the success of their offense to, like, having more intelligent players than most Power 5 programs. And I, I, I'm not saying he's wrong at all, um, because obviously it's a complicated offense and it requires people with a certain level of intelligence. I just also think it's funny, because that is also a recurring theme I've heard from every middle-tier Power 5 program uh, that has somewhat above has average <laughs> any <laughs> level of academic standards is well we can we can do this because our players are smarter or oh we'd be able to recruit anyone too if we had lower standards and and grant credit to him he didn't go with the latter which is just an obnoxious argument but it, it was just funny that that was his explanation for why uh the offense you know is able to be successful is because you know demon deacons are smart we were told by a couple of fans when we were sharpening back and forth that we weren't smart enough to go to Wake Forest, as if we would want to go to Wake Forest in their like four thousand student population. Exactly. And I went to a school with four thousand students. Strike that from the record. But <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. You can chirp pit fans for a lot of things. You can go down that road. Academics ain't it. No. Come on. No, that's one of the more educated uh, Power 5 fan bases. Did Wake Forest hear Pulio? I don't think so. I don't think they did. No. No. Just make it sure. Okay. Okay, yeah. To handle failure, to handle stress and anxiety. Uh, he has learned a lot of lessons and he has flipped a lot of the stigmas. Picks off here, Q. Coming back the other way, A.J. Woods got a convoy on the interception, still on its feet, cuts back one more time, picks up a block, stopped at the two-yard line. Kenny Pickett put up close to 300 total yards and three total touchdowns in Pitt's dominating win in the ACC championship, enough to earn him an invite to New York City on Saturday night for the Heisman Trophy presentation. A massive moment for Pitt football, but will it be enough for him to walk away with that trophy? We'll find out. This is Heisman Watch. Alright, gentlemen, Pickett provided the closest thing to a Heisman moment I think any of us have seen this season uh, from a Heisman contender. However, Bryce Young looked, admittedly, unbelievable against the number one defense in the NCAA and likely locked it up uh, against Georgia. What do we make of the Heisman Trophy presentation on Saturday? And verbal meme... Um, guy wearing a smiley face mask but crying and red-eyed underneath it. Does it even matter if he actually wins the trophy, if he at least gets to go? Our reaction, we were just sitting on the couch right before we started recording, watching them announce it live. When we saw Pickett's face pop up on the screen, we jumped for joy. We were high-fiving. Him being there is satisfying enough for me. I think they're going to give it to Bryce Young and... Bryce Young is a worthy winner. It's lame that it's just going to be a, you know, a blue blood quarterback winning again. 
that being said, um, I think I think we still have something to root for. I, I'd I'd rather get him get second than third. I really um, want him to be second. I would love to see him as the runner up, and you know, I know this is Heisman watch, but I think he has a chance to win one of those other big Player of the Year awards, like you know, the Walter Camp Player of the Year, the Max more Wall technical award. ones that are, I think, voted on more litigiously, more like by the letter of yes, this is the best performing player at this position, or you know. It's following not the these criteria. It's not, this is the best player on one of the best teams, so let's just nominate him. Right. and Which Pickett happens to be, actually. True. So maybe we Absolutely. should be going down that road. My, my thoughts on it are, you know, if this was an MVP award, and that's how it was stated, I think it would be pretty ar- hard to argue that Kenny Pickett isn't the most valuable player in the country. Because, I mean, we talked about it earlier, this is the highest high that pit football has experienced in a very, very long time. Um, definitely of our life t- lifetimes. Meanwhile, Alabama has been in the playoff every year and has won, I mean, they won the national championship a year ago. So they're not, you know, this isn't Bryce Young coming in and changing a program. But yeah, I mean, we know that's not really how this award works. We it, saw Tua do this. Tua had 43 touchdown passes, six interceptions. He only had 3,900 yards in, like, this is end-of-the-year stats. But we see Alabama quarterbacks do this all the time. It's ever since... That's why it's lame. The best quarterback on the best team award is what people dub it as. Does Young deserve it? Sure. I I don't want to take too much away from Bryce Young because he, he's an incredible talent. But my feeling is the media has so badly wanted him to be the front runner from day one that it's... We've ignored his bad performances altogether. It it hasn't it hasn't impacted his his odds to win the Heisman or his front runner status when he's performed poorly. But heaven forbid Pitt's defense slips up and Kenny Pickett falls in the rankings. And, and it, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the criteria for this award changes every year. Um, Robert Griffin the third won it um, despite quarterbacking a worse team than this Pitt team. A uh, three-loss Baylor team that played in a pretty irrelevant bowl game, didn't win their conference, but it was cool because Baylor football had been so bad for so long, and they have this electric player. I I just wish the that, you know, Kenny Pickett was held to that same standard. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, we talked about it last week. Bryce Young had under fifty percent completion percentage uh, in the Auburn game. Obviously, against Georgia, he had an unbelievable game. So I remember checking uh, the box score of the Alabama game uh, while we were t- while we were tailgating, and I saw he was up to already over three hundred yards and a couple of touchdowns. And at that point, probably all the Heisman voters uh, checked the box and the ballot and set it in. Can't be mad if he did that against uh, Georgia. That was pretty much the the last hope. We thought maybe if Georgia holds the South Bend with to 10 and wins by like 20, pick and slide in. Uh, no pun intended on the slide part there. Uh, <laughs> he can fake slide in. But it, he did as well as anyone could imagine and more against the best defense in the country. So, yeah. I Give a second. Bryce, Bryce Young, I, I don't think you can really be upset about winning at this point 
If Aiden Hutchinson beats Pickett for that number two spot, I will have a conniption. Aiden Hutchinson, also awesome. He's going to be a top two pick in the draft. Uh, he's he, There were points this season where it felt like he was pulling that Michigan team along by himself. But a college football defender puts up his stat line almost on a yearly basis. His numbers look the same or worse than Aaron Donald's and Dominican Sue's. You know, all these guys who are the most impressive defensive player in the country. Well, did Dominican Sue add a legit case for Heisman? His he stats did. were awesome. He did. Chase Young put up better numbers than Aiden Hutchinson. He is, he is here because... None of the top three quarterbacks were pulling away with with the award, you know, through the middle and later part of the season. And I think the media and voters started looking around for, okay, who who else could we take? Who else? And he just gained momentum and, and he played really well at the right time. I do not think in any capacity he should be ahead of Pickett. I will be beside myself. I agree. I I think Pickett, I mean, we're obviously biased in a way. We are not. We are objective journalists. Exactly. Um, but, you know, look at what he's done. Look what he's done for the Pitt program. I think that's what I'm, I'm afraid these voters aren't going to take into account enough, is that this is a guy who has absolutely elevated a program to a whole new level. And that is... I mean, that's something special. That's something that should be, you know, rewarded. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's hard when, you know, you have Pitt on the front of your jersey and the other guys have Alabama, Michigan, and Ohio State. Pitt players don't always make the Heisman ceremony. Maybe Alabama would be undefeated. It would have beaten Texas A&M if they had Kenny Pickett. Oh, they absolutely would have. Yeah. Put Pickett on a high school team... They're going eight and five college. I'll stop now. Gotta win those one-on-ones. That's what he said. And another pick by Hartman. He's gonna crib it. Hallett housed it. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Pitt's big win against Wake Forest was enough to secure a bid to the Peach Bowl, where the number 12 Panthers will be playing. The number 10 Michigan State Spartans out of the Big Ten on December 30th in Atlanta, Georgia. This is Pitt's first appearance in a New Year's Six or BCS Bowl since that 2005 Fiesta Bowl against Utah, led by Alex Smith and Urban Meyer. What do we make of our bowl destination? It's a great matchup. Great city. For a change, we're not going to a cold undesirable destination like the day after Christmas. Not, so Not in Birmingham or Detroit. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, New Year's Six, outside of the playoff, that's the pinnacle of college football, so... Um, and it is kind of nice that we have a pretty good matchup for, you know, our, our amazing passing attack and tough run defense, so... I don't know, it's worked out pretty well for us to this point. I think there's a very specific profile uh, that anyone that's followed this team could draw for a team that Pitt, regardless of like how talented or how big name they are, that we would just kind of kick the shit out of. And there's a profile for a team that no matter how bad or how low level 
would give us issues. Western Michigan follows the latter. Um, a, a team with like a, a pretty pretty steady passing offense, and it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, what the defense is. They have if they can get after the quarterback, fine. But if they can score points on offense through the air on us, we'll have trouble. Michigan State fits the former, the profile of a team that no matter how good they are and how you know well they perform in their conference, we can beat, and that is a run-first football team that is trouble passing the ball, and also a terrible pass defense. Well, that's what everyone who criticizes Narduzzi's scheme always brings up. They say he can only stop Big Ten offenses. He was so good as a coordinator because he was going up against run-heavy offenses, and his press corners, stop-the-run thing was all that you needed to do in the Big Ten. Now he's in the ACC, all the spread, can it work? Well, now we're going to find out what it does against the Big Ten Offense that relies on the run. Uh, I think Michigan State is just a lot better version of Syracuse. They kind of have their bell cow running back. Um, yeah, that's the only comparison I, I can see. They just have a really good running back and just run their entire game plan through him. Mm-hmm. They also have Connor Hayward, who is a certified dog, but they have more around them. Uh, Syracuse, they won a couple games because of Sean Tucker. Uh, but Kenneth Walker put the team on his back and beat Michigan. So Stud, yeah. Oh. And we'll get more into the X's and O's, but uh, you know we have a little bit of time uh, between now and the 30th. But let's, let's talk about just the concept in general. We're going to Atlanta, which is cool. We are playing in a nationally televised game on ESPN. Uh, which is cool, and uh, we can go eat like a bunch of chicken and biscuits in the South and watch Pitt play in the warm in a game that matters. In one of the coolest uh, stadiums in the world, Mercedes-Benz Superdome, so um, honestly just a great great haul for Pitt fans. We got pretty lucky with this. Well, we earned this. We earned this. I'm not going to say we got lucky, but great destination great chance to go get a win and I mean what what better way to spend your uh, your holiday season than to watch Pitt Panthers and Kenny Pickett for the one last time I have already purchased my tickets uh, I have already looked up the concession prices at Mercedes-Benz unbelievably cheap a hot dog's a dollar fifty there I'm gonna eat ten of them yeah you can literally go and just have dinner there and not have to worry about uh, taking out a second mortgage on your house so Enjoy that, Pitt fans. Yeah, I loved opening up my PNC account and seeing like four different charges for twenty five bucks uh, at Heinz Field. So, on a serious note, it was really cool in the ACC championship game hearing older Pitt fans, older than us, say that this is the biggest game of their lives. They have not seen Pitt uh, win this many games. Uh, some of those people have only seen it. When they're children, this is going to be even bigger. We've only won twelve games once in school history. Was it nineteen seventy six? Let's do it again. Wow, twelve wins. It's on the table. So start uh, booking your flights down to Atlanta. The prices on those are already uh, approaching the roof. Side uh, note. Uh, 
cheaper to fly out of Cleveland if you want to make that drive. Maybe save yourself a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, much much cheaper out of Cleveland. Uh, it's only about a two hour drive. Not terrible, um, but let's let's get some fans there. Buy your tickets. Let's uh, let's show up the Big Ten. This is a team that beat one of our biggest rivals. This is a team that beat uh, one of the the four best teams in the country that will be representing the Big Ten in the playoff. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm real sick about the Big Ten's superiority complex, and I don't know how earned it is. I am and I want to show so them. excited for this game, and if we win, put some respect on the ACC. Like our ranking right now, it shows they don't respect the ACC. We're like among the lowest of the ten win teams. Uh, we barely moved up after beating a ranked team in our conference championship. And this is Nar- Narduzzi's old stomping grounds, East Lansing. It's the Deuce yeah. Bowl. We're going to have a lot more on this game over the next couple weeks. We are not going anywhere. We will still be bringing you episodes every week, except for Christmas, and also if we don't feel like it, uh, any other week. But, you know, we're going to try. So there's plenty more to be said about this game, but hey, we have a couple weeks. Kick your feet up. Smile. Life is beautiful. And the Pitt Panthers are phenomenal. ACC champions. That's all you got to know. Have a great week. Until next time, hail loyal sons of Pittsburgh. Please win, and also thank you for the winning. My mama calls, see you on TV, sunset shit done changed Ever since we was on, I dreamed it all Ever since I was young, they said I won't be nothing Now they always say congratulations Worked so hard, forgot how to vacation They ain't never had the dedication People hating, say we changing, look, we made it Yeah, we made it Hold it, hold it, hold everything. In the time since we recorded on Monday night and our intended publication of this episode on Wednesday night, uh, some pretty interesting news broke in the uh, pit sphere. Offensive coordinator Mark Whipple resigned on, uh, I believe, Monday. News broke Monday or Tuesday. And today, Wednesday, we found out it was to take the offensive coordinator job at Nebraska. Dylan, Squid, what were your initial reactions to his resignation? And take me through your thought process as more came out about this and it kind of shifted from retirement to um, Whipple being poached by a Big Ten school. I think we kind of hinted at this earlier in the episode when we brought up, would we be sad if Park Whipple was gone next year? And it's especially weird considering how we felt about him when he first started out in year one and two. But we were kind of at ease about it because we thought he was retiring. He's ending on a high note. He'll just go off to Arizona and golf for the rest of his life. Uh, whenever the news dropped, the city was resigning and wasn't going to coach in the Peach Bowl, and that was kind of weird. And then almost immediately the Nebraska rumors started. So it made it uh, something unexpected. Yeah, I think the timing of it is really the the weird thing about it. I don't 
think a lot of people thought he'd be back next year. Um, but I definitely didn't think he'd be taking another job or at least a job. So lateral to a step down, um, you know, I don't know what the paycheck's going to look like. I don't think those details have come out yet, but the fact that he's going to a school that went three and nine last year, it's just a little odd. Um, and then it kind of causes some uncertainty within the program. You know, people are like, Oh, what happened? Well, why so abruptly? You know, I don't, I don't know what precedent there is for coaches leaving two days after they win a conference championship before their new year's six bowl game. But, um, you know, I think there's a bright side to it. it gives Pitt a little more time to figure out who they want to bring in next year. Um, and allows, you know, those candidates to, to contact Pitt a little earlier, but um, definitely a little odd and kind of makes, makes the uh, assumption that maybe Kenny Pickett won't play in this game um, because those, those two are boys and, um, you know, there's other reasons Kenny might decide not to play in the Peach Bowl, but um, this just this doesn't help. I want to I want to take a minute to kind of um, pull pit fans back from the edge of the cliff, a place we haven't been in a while because this is a a cheery and sunshiny episode. We just won the ACC. That's very exciting. It's super easy to look at this turn of events and, and say, Oh, brother, uh, same old pit, you know, even even when we have one good year, we can't sustain that success before getting our players and coaches poached by other programs. Um, The understanding I have from, you know, people who know the program and are familiar with the situation is that there was no expectation he was coming back, which John alluded to. Um, In fact, I believe there were some family issues um, as as far as health of a family member uh, that were going to definitely steer him towards retirement. Uh, and, and, you know, just this was kind of viewed from early on as his final ride at Pitt. However, Nebraska came in last second and uh, dropped one of those uh, offers you can't refuse, which we've seen so much of in this coaching carousel. And, uh, and I, I think he was out, out recruiting and, and, you know, Narduzzi caught wind that, he had, you know, interviewed for another job and said, you know, well, why don't, why don't we do each other a favor and part ways? I I don't want you out recruiting when you're, you know, you have one foot on the platform, the other foot on the train, uh, the train heading to Omaha, Nebraska, which I'm sure will be a lovely place to live. Um, And they just kind of mutually decided to part ways. So I, I don't think that this is the sign of, collapse that I think pit fans are now waiting for, but I, I certainly would question the optics of it. I think the overreaction by pit fans is kind of like what you're saying. People are waiting for something to go wrong, but this really isn't in my eyes, shouldn't be viewed as a big deal whatsoever. It's, it's an OC, right. it's an OC leaving after a very successful year. One coaches get poached all the time in college football. If you're a good team, you should expect assistance to get uh, taken away from you Two, No one thought he was going to be here next year anyway. So what, what difference does it make that he left for Nebraska? It, it makes things feel a little odd, but realistically it doesn't change where Pitt is next year. I will say usually um, in those situations when Nosey has a good year, it's, it's to get bumped up to head coach somewhere. So maybe it does feel, you know, a little bit like a gut punch that a big name that has sucked in recent memory was still able to take our offensive coordinator away from us. Um, you know, 
despite being like visibly bad at football since they fired Frank Solich in the early 2000s. Um, you know, just, just to see a Big Ten big name take a guy away from us for a lateral coaching position, I think, I think caused people to overreact. But were they able to take a big name or were they able to take a coach from us or did they just kind of, you know, did he just kind of fall into their lap? It Because for the most part, it felt like, you know, all year that this was Whipple's last ride with Pitt regardless. Um, you know, if it was to retire, sure. But, you know, if they thought he was gone anyway, maybe Whipple was like, yep, I already planned on this. I planned on not being here next year. And, you know, someone else wants me to coach. And I, I got a little uh, pep back in my step this year after this big year. Maybe it's a really good business business decision. He's going to go to Nebraska, get paid, and then Scott Frost will get fired and he'll get that uh, nice buyout money for just coaching one season and then he'll retire. Yeah, and... yeah I, I think I think you, you know that, John, and Dylan, what you said, I think you know that and I know that. I just think from an outsider pr- perspective, um, my only issue with this is the optics of it. Um, you know, I think it was Whipple's time to go really respect what he did in Pittsburgh, especially after, you know, being bad at your job and then sticking with it and refining and developing your players until, you know, you, you saw results. Um, But it is really weird though. It's just college football. Why don't they just wait until after the bowl game to start doing this? Exactly. Everyone needs to be the front runner, get the first crack at the coach. It doesn't make sense, but that's just how it is. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, the issue again is, is optics. Now we are without an offensive coordinator heading into a huge uh, national stage, the peach bowl and a huge part of recruitment in, in, you know, recruitment has opened back up and we're obviously looking for a transfer quarterback. And what does, what does it give off? You know, at, at first glance, some kid who's looking for a new school isn't thinking like, Oh, well, there was already, you know, the relationship had, gone a little bit cold with their offensive coordinator and they were just kind of going to ride out the year and then, and then, you know, walk into the sunset. No, they see Pitt lost its offensive coordinator throw in the fact that a couple recruits have decommitted in the last few weeks, which again, those are for their own reasons, not just, Oh, I don't want to go to Pitt. One, I believe a- academically wouldn't have been eligible. And then another one, I think wanted to stay closer to home. Um, but you know, the optics of it at a time when we need to attract talent and prove ourselves on a national uh, uh, pedestal, not, not phenomenal. Yeah. I think, the additional time though will prove to be beneficial. I'd rather get an offensive coordinator, another offensive coordinator in here sooner than later so he can start recruiting his guys than than waste time with Whipple out there on the road talking to uh Chubba Purdy and then, you know, in a month from now, after Purdy's maybe maybe narrowing down his list to find out that ROC's gone. Um so I think that's, you know, the positive spin on this. Obviously, would you like to have Whipple in that in that Peach Bowl game? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think we all want to win and get to a 12th win. But, um, you know, it it's unfortunately kind of feels like this is um, a reflection of the entire landscape of college football is that if you're not playing in the playoff, it's it's kind of like, okay, it's a it's a nice trophy to put in your trophy case but what does it really matter see brian kelly left notre dame 
before the last week of the season. He has a team who had a legitimate chance to sneak into the playoff and he just left for another job. So, right. Um, like, like kind of like Squid said, it's just, you know, you have to get there that you want to have the early step. You want to be a step ahead of everyone. Can't wait. Can't wait till after the season. I just think Pitt had a chance to really do this right and, and make it look seamless. If they knew Whipple was gone after the year, um, even if he was looking at other jobs, you know, start figuring out who your next guy is going to be, if it is Marion. And I, I think we, we plan to discuss that more thoroughly in a minute. Um, you know, start having your pan, plan in place. And then as Whipple resigns, introduce your new guy. So it looks seamless. It doesn't look like uh, your offensive coordinator got bought out by a bigger name, or there was something behind the scenes between him and Narduzzi. Make it look like a, a peaceful transition of power. I think that is a good point about the optics, but internally, I think there's no way that Narduzzi thought that Whipple was coming back, whether he was retiring or taking another job. So he definitely has had some thoughts about this. They're having discussions about who the next guy is going to be. And this isn't like, oh my gosh, we have to scramble and start calling dudes. I think this is something he's been thinking about for a while. So now I guess start thinking about those names. Well, Brendan Marion, you've both mentioned. Yeah, the the Marion thing, he's like the no-brainer. Like by the fans, like oh, that's the next guy up, the young, uh, on fire assistant coach that any any program in the country would like to come uh, coach receivers for them. Um, my only concern with Marion is it it feels like a situation that can go wrong uh, pretty quickly because as soon as uh, either one Marion gets upgraded to OC and the first game next year, our offense looks looks less than stellar and then all of a sudden you know uh, Narduzzi jumped the gun Marion wasn't ready his best uh, he never c- coached offense at a power five level before and then if they don't hire Marion and the offense looks less than stellar in the first game next year it's wow Narduzzi really botched that one so the only I feel like the only uh, situation in which you know Pitt fans will really be happy is if Marion gets promoted and it looks good right away and you know, that's going to be a big stepping stone for a guy who's never been a power five coordinator. I have no inside information here, but I would be surprised if Narduzzi hires Marion. I'd like it. I'd be all for it. I think the players absolutely love him. I think if you look at social media, a lot of them are even vouching for him to get the job. But I think Narduzzi is going to, uh, hire a more established guy, especially with where the program's at. We're bringing back uh, the Bolitnikoff winner, uh, hopefully. A couple stud running backs. You have great defense. This is a team that's ready to win now, and I think uh, he's not going to take any chances. He's going to hire someone established who's uh, been around the block before, and he can step in and keep this train rolling. And I wouldn't be surprised if Heather like opened up the checkbook for offensive coordinator. Um, you know, that's the type of stuff you earn when you win conference championships. And when you have the best season a school's had in 40 years, this might be an opportunity for Narduzzi to leverage this into, okay, we lost our OC. We need to keep this momentum going. Let me go out and let's get a big name. Let's get an established 
guy who's had success at this level before and let's pay him. Um, whereas Marion, you know, I don't think he would get a huge contract. I'm not saying that's what it should be about. It shouldn't be about, let's see how much money we can flash in front of a new hire. But I do think, you know, if you're in Nardu- Narduzzi's shoes, you're going to take a look around and think, you know, I might have some options here because I can, I can leverage this into a really big hire. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd love that if, if they went for a home run hire, um, However, I there are some things about Marion I really, really like. Um, it's obvious that this team sees a ton of long-term value in him. Uh, other other schools have apparently shown interest in him and in, in interest in him. And uh, you know, we want to do what we can to keep him at pit as long as possible. Uh, and also, let's not discount the you know, he might not have a ton of experience, but this guy created his own offense. This, this is no dummy. Clearly the players like him. They respond well to him. He's been incredibly effective and he's something of an offensive genius to some extent. And I, I think that's, you know, it may be a little bit of a, of a uh, dice roll to hire him. Um, however, I, you can make your argument that, you know, play it safe pit, we're in a great place to succeed long-term, but I don't think a ton of people outside of pit fans think that this is a sustained thing that we've created. So I wouldn't mind them rolling the dice to, you know, really try to kick this into the next gear. That's part of the reason why I'd be okay with uh, hiring Marion. Cause if we don't hire him as the OC now, I don't see him sticking around as the wide receiver coach for more than maybe another year without him getting an offer elsewhere. And I think he's a guy who is, extremely valuable to helping your staff as a coach whether it's coordinator position coach or recruiter he, he excels in all those areas yeah i agree there um trust me the bet i think the best case scenario for pitt i fully believe would be upgrading marion to oc and they don't skip a beat and next year that offense is firing on all cylinders um it is just the fact that you know think of this from as a from a fan point of view, it would be sweet. Uh, the hometown kid, you know, from Pittsburgh, comes coaches receivers for a year, takes over the OC job, and uh, you know, is one of the prominent faces of the program. At the same time, look at I'm looking at it from Narduzzi's point of view, job security and just his program security as a whole. Does he want to hand over the keys to, of an offense to a guy with such little experience? I don't know. I have no information on that. I don't know what Narduzzi thinks of uh, Marion as a potential play caller, um, but that's a that's a big big decision for the future of this program. Um, you know, the next few years. I agree. I agree. Um, and, and before we we move on to our last topic, uh, do you guys want to throw out any other names of guys you might like to see uh, get interviews? I saw Chris Beatty's name was tossed around. So he was at Pitt. He's now with the Chargers as a receivers coach. And- I think by all accounts, he was a great receiver coach, tough loss for Pitt whenever he left. And uh, when he was here, he was an awesome recruiter. So I don't know if he wants to go back to college. Uh, he has coordinator experience in college. He's coached at a couple of places and has been calling plays. So that's another uh, name to be high on my list. Maybe Matt Canada. Just walks next door and takes a job. I've got a feeling him and Narduzzi don't see eye to eye anymore. Yeah, he he had his shot. 
Um, keep seeing people on Twitter say Joe Brady, and that I think that's just like a very Yinzer Pitt fan thing to be like, Pitt has an opening. What is the first like unemployed? What is the first name of an unemployed quote offensive guru I can think of? Even if it's someone Pitt could never afford, uh, would never want to be an offensive coordinator in the ACC after the heights they've reached. Just yeah, go get Joe Brady. That guy's very well going to be an like a, an NFL head coach in two years, and we you know. That's a name that people think is appropriate to throw around. How about Alex Van Pelt leaves his job as the as the underperforming Browns struggle this year and takes the OC job at Pitt, then tries to groom the next quarterback to break Kenny Pickett's passing record. Kenny Pickett, who broke Alex Van Pelt's passing record, it'd be the circle of life. It'd be you know beautiful full circle. Um, but uh, yeah, he's probably just tired I, of being around Baker Mayfield, too. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you're on to something. Speaking of Kenny Pickett, and we don't have to get too into this because this would be like the only actual upsetting thing we could discuss on this episode. Um, looking increasingly likely that Kenny would, uh, go into self-preservation mode and skip out on the bowl game. Uh, have you guys heard anything about this? He hasn't decided, apparently. He said on a couple stations today, he was on the Patrick show, he was on the fan, and he said he just genuinely hasn't talked to his family or Coach Narduzzi about it yet. And I believe that. The last couple of days have been crazy, probably putting his feet up and relaxing for a change. And especially now, taking some extra time to think because he's going to have a different coordinator for the first time in – a very long time. Uh, I think the biggest thing for him is not risk of injury. It's uh, being unfamiliar with who's calling the plays. Because I think quarterbacks typically play. There aren't many big-name quarterbacks to hopped out of big bowl games. And that might be a hesitation for him, not knowing who's calling plays and risking putting out some questionable tape against a pretty mediocre secondary. I don't think that would happen, but it's something to think about, and I think that'd be pretty reasonable on his part. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that point. I also think the risk of injury is still always there. Um, he took some hits in the ACC championship, and obviously, you know, he wasn't going to opt out of something like that. But you know, that might just be in the back of his head. I, he has a legitimate chance to be the first quarterback taken in the draft, um, and we've seen guys lose a lot of money from playing in their bowl game. And um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I want, I want nothing more than Kenny to play in the peach bowl. But if he sits out, there won't be a part, a single part of me that will blame him or be upset about, about, about him. I'll be upset that he's not playing, but I mean, that's a decision that he's given more than enough to the university of Pittsburgh in this program. Um, But it it would hurt if he didn't play. You don't think he'd be, burning his legacy to the ground. Yeah, we've got some just outrageous pit fans on Panther Lair on Twitter saying uh I, it's like 2% of pit fans. I think most of most of everyone is like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Well, don't back in my day. Dan Marino didn't sit out. No, I I agree with you guys. Um 
I, I actually am more on the side of, I think, I think it's a done deal that he's not going to. Um, but I think Kenny is very smart. He has this whole week ahead of him where he gets all of his flowers for an incredible season leading up to the Heisman. And they're, they're going to run, you know, 30 minutes worth of segments on him on ESPN leading up to it. And he probably won't win it, but he's going to get a lot of credit and a lot of applause that he really deserves. And it would be foolish of him to redirect the dialogue surrounding this event to be about, you know, in any, any capacity to be about him opting out. So um, I, I think it's probably a done deal. Uh, I, I think he's just being smart about announcing it. I don't blame him. Jake, Butt. Uh, tight end for Michigan was a consensus first rounder, like the first tight end off the board a couple years ago. He played in Michigan's bowl game, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl against Florida State, tore his ACL, never played a meaningful down of NFL football. Um, so, you know, there's precedent there. Um, honestly, I think this would be a cool opportunity if it wasn't the Peach Bowl against Michigan state and an opportunity to win a huge bowl and finish the season in the top 10 against a big 10 program uh, that beat up on some really good teams this year, including a hated rival. Um, if, if it weren't those circumstances, I think it'd be sweet to get a look into the future and see Nick Patty sling the ball or, or bevel or, or, you know, in in conjunction with a new play caller maybe getting a chance it'd be a cool look into the future the stakes are a little bit higher um than i'd want for that kind of circumstance though however again exactly what dylan said i i will never hold any of this against kenny pickett you go get that paycheck my guy yeah i'm not saying stop building the fake slide statue that's still going up one way or another yeah, they're busy uh, looking for as much gold as they could find to, to you know, melt into that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, all, all that being said, let's just hope Kenny does want to play and does decide, you know, I want to go out on top, be the first quarterback since whatever, 70s to get us the 12 wins, to win a Peach Bowl, to really cement my legacy. All we can do is, you know, please yeah that's the biggest thing with me do i think he's gonna play no but the one thing that keeps me uh believing that he might play is the legacy thing that's why he came back he talks about championships the record books all that somebody cares about and that will make the decision hard for him i believe what do you think think whatever and if he thinks he needs one more audition, uh, there's no better opportunity than playing against one of the worst secondaries in all of college football on ESPN at 7 p.m. So, you know, I, I think we're all kind of in accordance here with our expectations. Um, but I guess all we can really say is please play. Please play. Please, please please play please win please play yeah
But all that mean nothing when I saw my door, yeah. Everyone counting on me, drop the ball, yeah. Everything custom like I'm at the bottom, yeah, yeah If you fuck with winning, put your lattice to the sky How could I make sense when I got millions on my mind? Coming with that bullshit, I just put it to the side Bought a sense of baby, they can see it in my eyes My mama calls, see you on TV Since that shit done changed Ever since we was on, I dreamed it all Ever since I was young, they said I won't be nothing Now they always say congratulations Worked so hard, forgot how to vacation Now everywhere, everywhere I go, they say congratulations.